You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on back to the Locked On Syracuse podcast on this Thursday. It's Tim Leonard and Tyler Rocky here with you. We are here with you every single weekday. So subscribe if you enjoy getting up to date on your Syracuse sports talk, Syracuse news on your commute to work, or if you're just walking from your bathroom to your work at home desk and you just want to turn on a podcast when you're in the shower in the morning. So whatever you do. We're here in, in the morning for you every Speaking single day. Speaking of Syracuse Sports Talk, Tim, I do think we need to address this a little bit. Seth Goldberg, one of the guys yeah. on ESPN Syracuse, I saw this news come across the wire the other day. He tweeted out that he is having his last week at ESPN Syracuse this week. Seth's great. He, I, I pop into his show on, on Twitch many a time, especially sure. throughout basketball and football season. But he's phenomenal. I'm going to miss listening to his voice on the radio. And best of luck to Seth in, in whatever he is doing next. I'm glad you brought that up. Great guy. And best of luck to him. I always love listening and watching on Twitch when it's him and Devo during the pregame, postgame. I guess it's mostly postgame now. Anyway, that that's a, a bummer for the Syracuse community. But I think he put out some stuff that he'll still be tweeting along and maybe still doing some Twitch shows. So best of luck to him. But today on the show, Ty... We normally do the, the preview for the next game, the day of, or even maybe the afternoon a couple days before and try and get it to you guys. We're going to talk Pitt a little bit today, although it won't be our normal preview because Pitt just played Syracuse, and I think we're all pretty familiar with how that one went down and their personnel. Yeah, in fact, Pitt hasn't played anyone since Syracuse. Yeah. They were supposed to play <laughs> Florida just... State over the weekend, and, and that got axed. Yeah, they've just been hanging around. They've had 10 more days to work on practicing against the 2-3 zone. So we'll talk about what that could mean and get into that. Because And the reason why we're moving it up is tomorrow on the show, we're going to have Jordan Cornette coming on, who has been one of our favorites. My favorite. The, yeah, I mean, he's been doing the games for ACC Network, for ESPN, and the last two Syracuse games, which is kind of been bad luck, I guess, because it's been two losses. The last two ACC games, right, yeah. yeah. You can tell... When I'm tweeting from the account versus when Tim's tweeting from the account, because I will point out little things here and there that Cornette says. Yes. And I think he's the best. Uh, he is the best analyst that, not just that does Syracuse games, he is the best in college basketball right now. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not kidding when I say that. He is the best analyst in college basketball. No, I, I've been happy to see him doing a lot of the games. It's been awesome to to hear his thoughts during the game. And I think we're going to have a good time sort of picking his brain because not only is he someone that's followed Syracuse closely and he knows a lot about Syracuse, but I'm going to be curious to just ask him, like, what do you make of Kadari Richmond versus Joe Girard? Or like the fact that Syracuse fans are talking about that. He's got Girard thoughts. I know he does. He does. He does. And I'm sure we'll get into that, but it's interesting. It'll be interesting to get his thoughts from like a national perspective because we're so tied to Syracuse. Sometimes I think it's cool to get, that other perspective as well. But let's talk a little bit about Barama Sidibe and the comments from Jim Boeheim post-game after the UNC game to start this one off. We mentioned that we went kind of long in the UNC recap pod, and we were going to talk about this today on the show. Essentially, Boeheim was asked by Mike Waters, how close is Sidibe? I know he was a game-time decision, and Boeheim just kind of snapped and cut him off and was like, he cannot play. And then Mike was like, okay, and he was like, he cannot play. And he said it three or four times in a row and then added that he's not a doctor, but he cannot play. So 
I'm, I mean, we're already worried. We, we've been on this for a little bit, that it was concerning that he practiced, had five great practices, and then, according to Bayheim, just couldn't go. And it feels like it's a pain thing, and maybe it's a pain tolerance thing. And I, my first reaction, although I don't know anything about this, was like, is Bayheim is this his way of kind of calling out Sidibe, saying, maybe you're just, you know, you're not giving me your all, like, like I want you to play through yeah, the pain. Yeah, call him soft, essentially. Yeah, essentially. Like, let's not beat around the bush. I, I think that might be kind of it, but again, this is just me trying to pick up the tea leaves. I, I don't know any information here. I just wonder when we're going to see Barama Sidibe, and after those comments, I'm even more concerned. The way I kind of view this is, okay, maybe there is some sort of pain that has flared up as a result of him increasing his workload and ramping up in practice. But if Jim's saying he cannot play right now, and I know he says he's not a doctor, but to me that kind of is, I view that as, all right, there's some sort of pain holdover on top of this. Well, with every pain holdover, there's going to be a conditioning element to this as well. So, and Jim has alluded to this too. He said that even when he does come back, he's not going to play a ton just because he has to get back into basketball and game shape. So this could be a, a long stretch of games before we see the the real full workload of Sidibe. Listen, I think he's going to play again this year. I, I'm not one of those people who's skeptical to the point where he's not going to come back this season. But if we had to set a, I'm not, I'm not going to set a date, but it wouldn't shock me if he doesn't play until February. I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but... Yeah. There's a lot of games in succession here. I mean, you look at it. You're you're talking two games a week, and you got some short turnarounds here. You're going Saturday on the road to Tuesday at home against Florida uh, against uh, Miami, and then you have a, a Saturday to Monday from Virginia Tech at home to Virginia on the road, and then I don't know. It, it's a lot of a lot of back to backs, or not back to backs, but short little bursts of games. So it might be that. That January 31st, the last day of January, where you might see him because there is that long layoff. You go Monday to Sunday. So you have almost a full week baked in of resting time for, for Barama and of practice time to get into condition. So who knows? We could maybe be missing him for quite some time here. And I think it's obvious what that means, not having him, especially. We saw it last night against UNC, or I guess two nights ago, if you're listening on the day that this podcast comes out, it's it's a huge bummer. He, he looked great at the end of last year, and then he gets the injury to start this year. And the reason why I'm really concerned and why I was even concerned before these latest comments from Bayheim is there is a history here with knee problems for Barama. There's a history of him getting knee soreness and having pain in his knees and not being able to diagnose where the pain's coming from, why it's coming, when it's coming, that's been a thing in his career, like it is for Robert Braswell. And Robert Braswell is just managing that, it sounds like. And he's playing through pain pretty much every time he's out there. Sidibe, I feel like, it's just so odd because Beheim said we're fully healthy before the first time they played Pitt, a couple days before that. After the COVID pause, he came out and said, we're fully healthy, we're ready to go. And it feels like there's been a pretty legit setback here to go a week and a half later. Like, we... When the injury news came out originally, we were like, yeah, it could be a while before he comes back, but he'll probably come back sometime early. And then the news got positive, and it was like, oh, he's already practiced it, and this is great. This COVID pause actually means that we're going to get more Barama games than Well, remember maybe what we the initial diagnosis was, too, is that he was probably going to be back around the new year. And yeah. now we're, we're two weeks past that. 
which felt optimistic to me because it was a surgery. And And again, we kind of talked about the, the torn meniscus is the strangest injury to, in terms of developing a timetable to come back, because we've seen guys like, I remember when Derek Rose tore his meniscus, he missed the whole season. Now he probably could have come back in the the April or, or May stages of the season, but he missed the whole season. And then you see Russell Westbrook, he misses some time. And then now all of a sudden you hear some people say the timeline is three months and it, it depends on what surgery you get. And, and with Barama, it seemed like it was going to be like a month and a half. And yeah. all of a sudden here we are. And who knows? It's a weird injury. We don't know a lot about these things. Well, I guess we, we do know a lot, but the, the variance at, at what your return time can be is out of this world. It's probably as variable as you will find in any injury. It seems like it's a very, like they're monitoring Sidibe every day and it's just changing rapidly or you don't know what you're going to get. Like, I feel like a lot of these games, he might even just go out there in the shoot around and then be like to Brad Pike, yeah, I'm not ready to go or I tested a little bit. And, and that's just concerning because he's a senior and we've talked about how we haven't really gotten everything out of Sidibe that we would have hoped to this point, but he showed so much flash at the end of his junior year that you would have thought maybe this could have been the year. And now I just hope that his career doesn't end this way if he doesn't elect to take the free year and come back. True. And and the disappointing part here, too, is that you're going to be going through a stretch of some pretty solid bigs these next couple of games when we don't know if we're going to see Sidibe. Like, you got Terrell Brown against Pitt. Then you go and face Niger Brooks, a seven-footer for Miami, and then Virginia with Jay Huff. So three of your next four games, you're going up against some talented bigs, and that's going to make this a tough little stretch here for Syracuse if they don't find backup production out of their their center position or their big men or if Quincy Garrier keeps getting foul trouble which has been a problem lately he's got four plus fouls in his last five games so that can really limit this team and hold back their their late game little spurts where we've seen they're in games but can crumble at the end quick break to tell you guys about Built Bar the best tasting protein bar on the marketplace my personal favorite I actually just got a brand new loaded box of Built Bar in the mail yesterday I'm so jacked up that's literally like in this quarantine times so one of the things that makes me the happiest when that Built Bar box comes to my door it's that good they've got 18 amazing flavors we've talked about a lot of the new ones but the six new ones are caramel brownie cookies and cream cherry barcia lemon almond cheesecake carrot cake and apple almond crisp Man, the Apple Almond Crisp, I I got in my new customizable box, which I'm very excited to try. I've not tried that one, but a lot of these sound really, really good, and they are really good. They're covered in 100% chocolate, they're soft, they're easy to chew, and they're good for you. That's the best part. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, yet high-protein and high-fiber. Great for a keto diet as well. So you can go to BuiltBar.com. You can use our promo code LOCKEDON. That's all one word. It gets you 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Again, our promo code locked off for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. 
Okay, another thing I want to talk about is some stats that came out from Shot Quality yesterday, which Shot Quality is awesome. This is it's your favorite. Of, yeah. This, this is this your is favorite. That no, the have, only person that likes Shot Quality more than you is Goody. Yeah, Goody is all in on it, and we should take credit for that. I feel like we steered him in that direction. Yeah, you you pumped it to him in the group chat, and now he's he's firing your ammo. Yeah, if you're into when we talk Ken Palm, when we talk shot quality, if you're into numbers like Anthony DeBundo is, and we're going to get to his numbers in a little bit, maybe he'll even bring this up. I don't know in a segment, but it like this is shot quality is a, a great up and coming site that I wish he could pay for it and get a full subscription to, but at the moment. That's not, they're not at that stage yet. Anyway, they tweeted out, and I'll just read the the tweet verbatim that came out yesterday in case you missed it. Going to give a lengthy post below on how Syracuse basically left seven total points on the board by taking mid-range shots instead of driving. They are currently the 23rd most efficient drive-to-the-basket team, but settled for mid-range 20% of the time yesterday. In total, on these mid-range jumpers, Cuse was expected to score 11 points based on shot probability. If they had chosen to drive to the basket on all 20% of those, instead, Cuse would have been expected to score 18 points. Summary, 18 points driving, greater than 11 points mid-range. They were still actually expected to win the game by three points against UNC based on the shot attempts by both teams, but this could have been a blowout. And it says that Syracuse, in a screenshot here, was given a 58% chance of winning the game against UNC because of just pure the shots that they were getting and the shots that they were forcing UNC into or the shots that UNC was taking as well, which goes back to our thing yesterday that they kind of did outplay UNC. It's just UNC got so many rebounds. But I think a, a big victim of this whole shot quality stat, I have a couple points on this, but I think we can start with Alan Griffin because he, to me, just jumps to mind as someone that needs to be driving more. Right, and, and it's one of those things where all of a sudden it kind of clicks in his brain that he needs to be driving a little bit more. But now the problem on top of that is that He's turning the ball over at an astronomical rate. He had, what, six turnovers in the UNC game? So th- that's the thing that's really concerning to me with Griffin is that I kind of view him as more of a cutter. And that's where I think he can really make his bread. When you get the ball high post to Dolajai, find Griffin on a cut or find Griffin coming off a screen or something of that nature because I think he's one of the better finishers on this team. I think he's a little underrated in that aspect. And I look at a guy like Griffin, and the, we, we, we talked with Tristan Kizik from the Champagne Room about what were his strengths and weaknesses at Illinois. And he said ball handling was a weakness. And we're not seeing with Griffin, it's not the, the bad passes per se that are resulting in turnovers. It's his pocket getting picked. Yeah. And I, I brought this up too a couple of shows ago, but with his turnovers, it's one of those things where that number should actually probably be higher in a lot of games because he is pretty good at recouping some balls that are knocked away from him, and then he's just the guy who bounces back on him. So it doesn't go down as a turnover, but a turnover could have feasibly been forced there. I really like Alan Griffin's game. I like him on offense. I think he he gives you some splash plays, and again, he reminds me a lot of Elijah Hughes. But the turnovers need to cut down, and, and the bad shots that he has taken are equal to a turnover, especially when you're going up against great rebounding teams like UNC. As the competition has gotten tougher, his shot selection has gotten a lot worse. And he makes some tough shots still, which he is does. Elijah Hughes-esque at times. It's just frustrating. He seems to be that Bayheim doghouse guy, or at least a candidate to lead the way this year. Because you can just tell that Bayheim has sort of had it with these long twos and 
contested jumpers and sloppy. Listen, he plays like an him. NBA guy. Isn't yeah, that kind does. of what it is? He, he plays way. like an NBA guy. He's around the NBA so much. His dad's obviously a coach. He trains with Jimmy Butler. He's been around a bunch of teams for a long time when his dad was a player, a coach, all that stuff. So he, he's been indoctrinated to this NBA sort of, I, w- I won't say lifestyle, but maybe playing style where those contested shots and those deep shots aren't bad shots for NBA guys, but for college guys... Yeah, they are. And that that's the thing that I think is frustrating is that you'll see these early shot clock pulls from Alan Griffin that, okay, if there's three or two seconds left, you'll live with that shot. And in fact, it might even be a good shot or a good enough look down late in the shot clock. But early in the shot clock, it's just a wasted possession. And especially when the team isn't rebounding against another team like UNC. And, and we saw the same thing kind of play out against Pitt where they did not rebound the ball well against Pitt. They got out-rebounded heavily in that game, by 16, and it comes up to yeah. hurting them. Yeah, yeah. last two games, you get out-rebounded by 17 and 16 in ACC play, the last two ACC games. That That is not good, and that's pro- pretty much why you lost. We had a, a good tweet from one of our listeners, Caleb Phillips. Sorry, I was gathering his Twitter bio here. Caleb Phillips 8, and he tweeted, How has Griffin become more of a liability than an asset all of a sudden? And also add in a separate tweet, I'm thinking he goes to the bench when Sadibe is 100% at this point. I'm kind of with him. When we had Devo on and we asked who should go to the bench when Sadibe comes back, which, again, we talked about who knows when that is happening or if it's happening anytime soon. But let's just assume there's a world where that happens at some point this year. Mm-hmm. When we had Devo on and he said, Alan Griffin, I think I would bring back to the bench like the start of the year. I was like, ah, no. But Griffin's stock has really dipped since then with the shot selection, the turnovers. I mean, it, it's getting really bad at times. You're right. I still think he does a lot well. Like, I wouldn't yeah. say he's a liability out there. Like, I, I think there are extremes on both ends. Well, I do think he was an asset early in the season, but now it's tough to kind of back that up with the way that he has played. But I don't think he's become a total liability. Like, he had three blocks in this game, and he's made some big blocks throughout the season. Again, he's got the knack for the splash play, kind of like what Hughes did. He's not an exceptional defender, but he's going to make some big plays for you on defense. Like, being an excellent shot blocker doesn't necessarily equate you to being a good defensive player. So it's one of those things. He's a super athletic guy, but... I don't think he's quite a liability, but I'm with you and I'm with Devo and I'm with our guy Caleb too. I think that he is the logical choice to come off the bench because let's say that the offense starts slow as we've seen it do from time to time. Isn't that the perfect guy to kind of inject a little spark? A guy who is a a super efficient shooter coming off the bench as we saw with Illinois. So that's one of the things that I'm looking for when Sidibe comes back, and I don't think it, he's become a liability per se, but when you look at the shot selection and the turnovers and, and the fact that defense isn't necessarily a strength of his, it's definitely plummeted his stock from where it was those first couple of games. Now, the defense has not gotten any better to this point. I will say this about him. He still has about as high of a ceiling as anyone on the team and about as much potential. No as anyone on the mm-hmm. team, I would say what Buddy did at the end of the first half, and we've seen Buddy do this a couple times now, and when people ask why does Buddy play so many minutes, that's kind of why he's out there is because he can heat up more than anyone on the team, and I would put Griffin also in that category. I think it's only Buddy and Griffin are the two guys that can go on like a 10-12-0 scoring run by themselves. Maybe we would have said no Gerard at the start of the year. I, I can't put him there right now, though. So I- I would say I'm with you. Too. I mean, 
I kind of see a lot of Malachi Richardson in his game too. I mean, I think about it like, sure, you're going to have some turnover nights. You're going to have some bad shooting nights. But if you had to pick one guy on this team to that could win you a game that you probably shouldn't win, it's probably Alan Griffin in terms of he's going to go out. He's going to make some big plays on a big stage for you. We've seen him do it in the past with dunks. We've seen him do it with, with some shot blocking. He can make these big plays for you, and he can go on these big scoring runs for you, but he's not going to necessarily be the consistent player night in and night out that is going to be required for a a season of success. All right, before we talk a little bit more about the pit game, get into our predictions, prop shop, all that, let's bring in Anthony DeBundo from the Daily Orange. It's time for DeBundo's Digits. The numbers you need to know. Anthony DeBundo breaks down the biggest stats for this week's Syracuse matchup. DeBundo's Digits. On the Locked On Syracuse podcast. As Syracuse looks to rebound literally from its loss to North Carolina and get revenge on Pittsburgh on Saturday, they should remember what their Ken Palm win probability was with about 11 minutes to go in the game, 98.5%. And a loss would drop Syracuse to a 1-3 conference start for the third time in four seasons. Pittsburgh's only played one game since December 22nd, and it was the comeback win against the Orange on January 6th. The Panthers rank 15th in offensive rebounding rate, which may give Cuse fans nightmares after UNC pulled in 24 offensive rebounds in its win against the Orange on Tuesday. Pitt defends the three really well, holding opponents to 27.3% from three, and does not shoot it well themselves, ranking in the bottom 100 nationally from beyond the arc at 30.2%. The Panthers are offensively challenged in both ball protection and free throw shooting, ranking in the bottom 100 in turnover rate and the bottom 40 in free throw percentage this year. While the Panthers did make both critical free throws in the final seconds against Syracuse, they are only shooting 60.9% for the year as a team. While head coach Jeff Capel said that forward Justin Champagny is expected to return sooner than expected from his LCL injury, he's still not practicing and will not play against the Orange on Saturday. Guard Xavier Johnson did not have his best game in terms of shooting in the Dome on January 6th, finishing with 12 points on 1-7 of shooting, but the junior is still effective. He added 7 assists and 3 steals and helped the Panthers' offense significantly in the second half after they were held to just 18 in the first. Johnson ranks 10th nationally in assist rate and is top 100 in fouls drawn per 40 minutes. The Orange need to keep him out of the paint and keep Garrier out of foul trouble if they want to win. Now, Ken Palm gives the Orange a 57% chance to beat Pittsburgh by a projected score of 71-69. Bart Torvik, who's slightly higher on the Orange, has them at 59% to win by a projected 72-69 score. According to Bart Torvik, the Orange ranked 25th in field goal percentage on close-into-the-basket two-pointers, but they only make up 26.4% of their total shots, which ranks 327th most frequent. They're taking way too many long shots, and they need to get into the paint more, based on what some of the data says. And since it's never too soon to talk about the bubble, let's talk about the bubble. Bartorvik.com has a simulation that allows you to compare the Orange's NCAA tournament resume to teams in the past with similar resumes. Of the 10 teams who are rated as most similar since 2009, just six received at-large bids, with one of those being Syracuse in 2019. The median seed was 10. So the Orange's current NCAA tournament status is not at all safe. Of teams with similar efficiency profiles, six of those 10 made the NCAA tournament A loss to Pittsburgh would probably knock the Orange out of the NCAA tournament field for now, but obviously a lot can and will change from now until March. But of course, it's never too soon 
to talk about the best month of the year. All right, always thanks to Anthony DeBunda. You can find him on Twitter. It's super easy. You don't even have to, like, remember the Twitter handle. It's just at Anthony DeBundo. Maybe you just have to remember properly how to spell his last name, which shouldn't be too much of a challenge for you. And just search it. He's always, we always tag him in some of our tweets as well when we put out the pod, so you can find him that way as well. And read his work over at The Daily Orange. But we The only guy with better numbers than shot quality. Yes, right. And everyone get on the shot quality bandwagon before it blows up at this point. But let's do our our prop shop and our picks for this game against Pitt. Hey, college football might be in the books now, but that's okay because there are still plenty of sports left on the calendar. You've got the NFL playoffs in full swing. College basketball is going on right now. The NBA heating up too as we speak. And there's only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust to get those wagers in, and it's betonline.ag. And right now, you can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use our promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus. Listen, we're talking about the Syracuse Pit game right now. Why not get in on some of the action? You got to lean one way. You think this total is going over or under. You think Syracuse can cover the spread. Go and put your money where your mouth is and go to betonline.ag. And don't forget to use that sign-up bonus. Again, use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. That means if you put $100 in, they're giving you 50 on the house to play with. So go to betonline.ag and sign up for that free account. And again, remember that promo code Locked On for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in with betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, time for the prop shop and to make our picks for this pit game. Pit game number two. I don't know how many days it's been since, but it feels like it was not that Ten days. Long ago. Ten days. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's all it's going to be? Gosh. So, so pit has just been sitting around. They were supposed to play Florida State. It was postponed, as we talked about. They've just had tons of time to maybe think about their game and how they came back and how they can just come out better in the first half against Syracuse. And this game will be at Pitt as well. Our prop shop picks, if you're new to the show, these are hypothetical made-up bets that we keep track of during the season before every game. Right now, I'm in the lead after we both had four and three weeks in their four and three games against UNC. I'm not up nine hundred dollars, twenty-seven and nineteen overall. Ty, you are down five eighty overall, twenty and twenty-six Ugh. on the season. I will say you were way behind in football, and I think you came back to beat me. So I, I, I gotta did. keep That's the pedal right. down. Yeah, it's yeah. You gotta still yeah. Plenty of you time. gotta keep the pressure on here. All right, a lot, right. Of, lot of a lot of games left. I don't know if it's at the point where you should start like taking the other side of me, but I mean these these things can go in a hurry because we had the same record going into the first pit game, and then boom, I just got hot in pit Georgetown, and then UNC we tied. So here we are. Like after two games, I jumped way ahead. So this this could flip early on us when we do like six picks a game. But our first one this week, keeping it with the Kadari JG three theme. Kadari minutes over under. We tallied it up in ACC play, which is albeit just three games. He has averaged 17 minutes per game so far. He's averaging more than that on the season, but you got to keep in mind he played a lot more in those games where Buddy was out. I'm going to say he hits the over here. He hit 16 against UNC. I want to see him hit the over most games the way that things have been trending at this point. Like I said, I I don't get on Bayheim too much for it because I think he's handled it fine. And I don't think we're at the point where we should be talking about transferring. But last game against UNC, he played 16. I could have been a little bit more happy, I think, if he played 20. So I'll say slightly over. I'm going to go with the under here. I think this could be a heavy Girard game just because this is going to be, what, Joe Girard's fourth matchup 
against Pitt as a Syracuse player. So I'm looking at this as as a guy who he's going to go out. He's going to be firing. He's had a lot of experience against this team. And I think Bayheim's going to want to roll with what's comfortable because not that you're you're stretching at this point or you're you're panicking, but you need a win here. You need a win, and it's kind you're of a gonna want to go with what's. I'm not gonna call it a must win. I, know, I feel like I'm joking, the the but... phrase. Yeah, no, I know you're joking, but the the phrase in general is is very corny to me, and not as exactly. especially on January 13th of a season that ends in March. But I, this is a very important game for this team, and I think Jim's gonna lean on what's familiar with him, and, and that's Joe Girard. So give me the under on that. I think Girard's gonna probably play upwards of 40 minutes. Yeah, Syracuse has lost about five must-win games every season, and most seasons they still make the tournament. So that right. I, I, I just yeah. joke about that expression sometimes. Like, they lost Old Dominion. Oh, that was a must-win. Or that year that they went to the Sweet 16, I think Some of those games are like games. can't lose. Yeah. They're, they're more can't <laughs> I would say this is, this is a can't lose game. Not a must-win, but a can't lose. This is... We're going to have a, a field day on the Monday podcast with a lot of Twitter reactions, a lot of thoughts if they lose type of game. Like, it will be a panic right. meter to the moon. If you lose back-to-back to Pitt, that's kind of discouraging, considering the you level You can't get swept by Pitt, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. without Justin Champagny, too, it doesn't look like he's going to play. That, that'd be tough. I will add, too, I think we're due for a Kadari JG3. Jim just snaps at a reporter when they ask a question after the game, or Jim just <laughs> He plays on his A-game for Pitt games, I feel like. Yeah, he comes out for he he brings his best stuff for Pitt usually. If if you go through the Jim Beheim YouTube press conference highlights, a lot of them have Pitt around him for whatever reason. Yeah. Maybe he'll mm-hmm. be in a a good mood if they win and just take it to someone if Gerard has a good game. I, I could see it. So we'll go to two Quincy props here. First one, Quincy fouls. It's it's getting to that point. We had the Sidibe special last year where we set four and a half every game. I don't think it's quite there yet with Quincy, but he has picked up at least four fouls in, what is it, three straight games last now? last five games. Oh, gosh, five games. And he fouled out and last Six of game. the last seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't think we can put it at four and a half. I also feel like three and a half would just kind of be too free considering six of the last seven. He's hit four. So we'll put it at four knowing that there's a decent shot of a push here. And I guess I'll take the under and just assume that if anything, he won't foul out and and hope for the best that the streak snaps. I'm with you. I'm probably going to go under on here. This obviously can hit right on the nose too, but that'd be my real prediction for fast. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, you're right. It's probably going to get to four at some point. I don't think even though we've seen bigs play menacing, including Terrell Brown against Syracuse, it's one of those things where, all right, Jim's got a little tape on him now and he's just going to be able to to figure it out. And he's going to put his guys in a better position also to not foul. And I think Quincy, he kind of knows now. And I feel like that UNC game might be a wake-up call for him. Like, I can't afford to get fouls at any point. So I'm yeah. not going to pick up the cheap one. Let Buddy or let Joe do that because they don't really get in foul trouble. And we also have depth at the guard position. Whereas if I go down, well, <laughs> it might be taillights because we've seen this team crumble now twice when Quincy's not out there late in the game. Yeah, the other thing is, he's not the center. We know Dolajai plays the anchor spot of the zone, but in a way, he's kind of the center because he's by far our best rebounder, and we need him for those good teams. He plays bigger than 6'7". Yeah, and he plays bigger rebounding-wise than Dolajai, so I think it's kind of gone under the radar, his foul problems. like They were a huge problem last year, and they're starting to become a problem as competition 
gets higher this year and it's not being talked about enough like Beheim said Dolajai oh yeah like he never gets in foul trouble so I shouldn't worry about that and he was like how many times has he fouled out this year and someone confirmed I think it was Pete Moore that he hasn't fouled out in the press conference well that's great but when Dolajai's out there with Braswell and Griffin on the wings Griffin's a good rebounder but I mean that's just not going to get a ton of rebounds like Dolajai and Braswell are not great rebounders so you kind of need Quincy for rebounding more than any other player. Another Quincy prop, over, under, in points. We just don't talk about him enough. I want to give him some love here in the prop shop. We'll set it at 15.5. He's leading the team with right around 16 points per game. I think he had 23 to lead the team in the last game. I'm going to take the over. He got in foul trouble last time against Pitt. I'll just assume he stays out of it enough to get to at least 16 points. Yeah, this is going to be a revenge game for Quincy. I feel it too. I'm going to go with the over as well. To me, when I look at what Quincy did in, in the UNC game. He had some really impressive finishes and probably some some shots that could have been and ones too. And I think he might really try to take it to this pit team, get a little aggressive with it. Now, the, the here's what you got to watch for. A, is Ted Valentine refereeing this game? Because if he is, you could get yourself in foul trouble real quick. And I know yeah. that may come <laughs> off as a joke to some people, but I'm being serious. Like, I am dead serious. You cannot risk it with whoever the officiating crew is out there. Because if you know that they they have a tendency to like to, to steal the show for themselves, Quincy is a guy who goes into bodies, he plays physical with guys, and if he is the aggressor against some of these smaller pit players, he is going to get called for some offensive fouls, and we saw that in the pit game. Okay, let's go rapid fire on these last two props before we make our picks for the game. Alan Griffin turnovers. It's sad we have to set it at this, but after six turnovers the last game, Setting it at three and a half. Which way are you leaning? I'm going to go under here. And I think it's because uh, Bayheim is not going to give him the opportunity to go over. Because if if he is coughing the ball up at a, an astronomical rate. And again, Pitt's a team who you can play. You don't need a ton of offense to beat uh, this Pitt team. So I'm going to go under. I think if, if it's really getting out of hand and he's coughing the ball up, Jim's just going to yank him. And I don't blame him. Yeah, okay. I'm going to take under two. I think it's Pitt, so he should be fine. The last uh, player prop type thing, who will lead Syracuse in scoring? We've adjusted the odds this week because we've realized that we're just not really hitting on this, and it's it's getting tougher and it's tougher It's a tough to game predict. to play. It is yeah, a tough game is. to play. You're giving us six, five, six options, and, and we, we got to hit one of the six. Yeah, It's like so, the impossible multiple choice question. So Quincy is leading the team in scoring. We'll put him first at plus 200. If you bet 10, you make 20. We always hypothetically bet 100, so you'd make 200. Griffin and Buddy tied at plus 210. JG3 plus 275. Marek and Kadari, I mean, I don't even have to say their odds. Really. I don't think, Marek 335, if you're thinking of him, then that'd be kind of a crazy transformation from the last couple games. Kadari plus 500, that's just not really Although, could game. this be the game he gets aggressive? It could be. I mean, you want to take him at plus 335? No, no, no. I'm yeah. staying away. But <laughs> okay. I'm going to roll with JG3 here. I think the, okay. the value is good and the fact that he could have a, a sort of breakout game here against not as physical of a group in pet. Man, I, I think it's the Alan Griffin bounce back game. He's due. He, he was leading the team in scoring and was clearly the guy for this bet. And the past couple of games, as we talked about, he just hasn't been good. But I bet he kind of comes back and and gets a little kick in the rear from Beheim this this past couple days in practice and everything. All right, let's get into our picks for the game. Ken Palm has this as a Syracuse win, 71-69. Kind of tight, considering it it is at Pitt. I guess that makes sense. I'm going to say Syracuse wins this game 75-69. to 
67. I think it will still be pretty close just because this team doesn't really have that knockout punch right now. Like the way that they had the COVID pause and they're not shooting as crisp as normal. And I don't know, Pitt sort of figured out some stuff with the zone. They went to Terrell Brown a lot in the second half, and I think they'll continue to go to that. The rebounding edge is going to be probably in favor of Pitt again. The good news is they won't have Champagne, but they probably will. There's a chance they have those other two front court guys that were out last time in Collier and Hughley. So I'll say it's fairly close, but I do think Syracuse holds on. I'm with you. I think Syracuse wins this game probably by eight or so points. So uh, I think it, they outdo the Ken Palm projection. And, and let's see, I'll, I'll go 75-67. I think the, the offense steps up. Because remember, the offense was really, really good in that we're, first half. Yeah, We're in lockstep. Oh, was, was that the same pick as you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll go one point up. Okay. I guess it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, no, let's, let's go so, same pick. Then we'll both be all right. 7567. Right. Positivity, pals. Let's do <laughs> all it. All right. Um, no, I, I just think that w- with this team, they saw what happened last game. So uh, they're not going to let this team bully them down the stretch. I mean, it's Pitt. You should be looking down on them like little brother right now. So I think they'll take care of business. And I think the offense won't go into the lull that it went into in the second half because it felt like they were screwing around in the second half at times where they were taking these contested deep early shot clock attempts. And it was just like, what are you doing out there? And I think this team is going to look at the tape and see, say to themselves, that was stupid. We're not doing that again. And we have to be better. And we have to put our our foot down in in this pick game. And we're not going to let up this time around. Yeah, they could blow them out. I mean, they're so much better than Pitt on paper. It'd be really just disheartening if they lost. I mean, they're better on paper. They're better with numbers. They're better. I mean, even just watching that game, Syracuse was the better team, and they did not win, okay? Exactly. So every single dimension tells you Syracuse needs to win this game, and and they should win this game. And if they don't, then you got problems. Again, like we said, it's not a must-win game, but it's a can't-lose. Yeah. (laughs) I love how you phrase that. All right, that is coming up Saturday. Follow us on Twitter for live updates during the game. It's at LO underscore Syracuse. Tomorrow on the podcast, Jordan Cornette, the ESPN ACC Network broadcaster. We'll talk with him about what he's seen from Syracuse calling the past couple games and just in general so far his take on the team. So look out for that. Subscribe to get it tomorrow right in your inbox and your preferred podcast feed and everything in the morning. But we will talk to you then. For Tyler, I'm Tim. And talk to you then.